0: So as you know, we're in a sermon series called Journeying Through Doubt, and I've solicited questions from the congregation. Last week's was a bit heady, it was a bit lengthy, so I decided this week to opt for just something maybe a little bit easier, we'll see, but something that would be interesting. We're going to talk about things like hell and all these other difficult questions in the weeks to come, but I was interested when I saw someone who anonymously put forward the question what if there is extraterrestrial life of intelligent kinds? Did Jesus go to other planets and see them? And I thought, yes. Because <laughs> like Fox Mulder, I want to believe. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I lo- Chair of the board walked out at 9 o'clock and goes, oh, I loved your sermon. It was kind of like, that's interesting, I don't know. That's how he summarized my sermon. Let's see if we can do a little better at 11 here today. My daughter Marcella, who's nine, when she was a little girl, one day she told Colleen and I that she had someone visit her in her bedroom. She called this person a spaceship mans. She said, The spaceship mans came to see me. Now, that is terrifying on a number of levels. One, it makes a dad go look at the windows to make certain that they're locked. Two, I don't really believe in ghosts but in those moments I kind of do. <laughs> Who is the spaceship man's? And then she described more about this spaceship man's. She always used the word man's. And it sounded as though there was a flying saucer that landed in the backyard. I'm still a little wigged out. And so we asked more questions and Colleen's telling me about it and We had a little baby Ruby at the time that she'd have to get up and nurse in the nighttime. And Colleen gave me this bashful, kind of ashamed look on her face. And she said, well, when I get up and nurse Ruby at night, I kind of got the habit of watching the History Channel's TV show called Ancient Aliens. Right next to Marcella's bedroom. (laughs) You know the one. It's the guy with the crazy wild hair who gives every question that we have about human history. The answer is aliens. How could there be pyramids in Egypt and pyramids in South America? Aliens. There's clearly no other answer to the questions, but it's an endless fascination for people of our age. And I think it's a fascination that if we're honest about... Many of us are afraid to ask in church. In fact, this is probably, I bet you all $100, but don't hold me to it. I bet you all $100, this is the only sermon you've ever heard on the topic of extraterrestrial life. Just doesn't come across very often. Yet, we all were there this past couple of years hearing from our government that there's released documents of actual UFOs. Now, they've rebranded them, they're not called UFOs. I refuse calling them whatever they're called now. UFO works for me. But they said, sure enough there are objects that have been in the space or in our atmosphere that we haven't known what they were. And just like a lot of things that the government does, they didn't tell us anything else. So all of our fascination went away quickly because we still had this big corporate, I don't know. Did you know? that NASA paid $1.4 million to 24 theologians at the Center of Theological Inquiry in Princeton, New Jersey, including a friend of mine, the Reverend Dr. Andrew Davidson, to ask the question, what would happen to our communities here on Earth if we in fact discovered alien life and communities on other planets? I don't know what you make of that, I wonder why they didn't call me. I'll take $1.4 million and I'll give you my opinions. Because here's the point. It's a question we have, but it's all speculative. We don't know. Andrew Davidson's got a new book coming out on astrotheology and astrobiology. I know one idea that he has is the possibility of multiple incarnations. That is to say, if God... Has come to know us through incarnation, incarnate, in becoming flesh. If God has come to know us in the person of Jesus by becoming us, well, why couldn't God have done that multiple times and in multiple places around the universe? Because the reality is it's such an expansive place, the probabilities are high that there is intelligent life. I don't know. I don't know if multiple incarnations has home with our faith or not. I've never read about it in Scripture. It's pretty limited. But I have read 1 Peter, and as our friend read from the choir loft, it tells us this one phrase that makes me feel like I can take my faith to the question for now. Jesus died once for all. Now I want you to understand what the word all means. It's a really complicated term. It means all. It doesn't just mean all Americans. It doesn't just mean all people on the planet Earth. It means all life. It means creatures here and there, big and small. It means the universe. Jesus died once for all. So what's his death about really? Well, in Churchines we call this the atonement. Jesus atoned for our sins. It's a real complicated word with a mixed set of range of meanings depending on what theological tradition you're part of. But bottom line is it means that Jesus did something to pay for us to bring us back to God. He atoned for us. His work on the cross was effective. It was efficacious. It was effective enough to bring us out of darkness and into the glorious light and splendor of God. Can I get an amen? Jesus' atonement was once for all. Now, it may shock you to know that there are at least seven to eight major understandings of the atonement. You probably know of one called Penal Substitutionary Theory. You may not know that's what it's called, but it's penal. So there's a sense of law here, okay? We've broken the law, and so we have to pay for it. The thing is, you and I are imperfect beings, and so we're not enough to pay for it. So then there's the substitution part of it. This is where Jesus, who is perfect, without sin, flawless, white as snow, as they say in hymns. Well, he took our place. And that was effective enough to help us overcome all the sin, all the negativity, all the badness that we have caused in the world. Now, it's not an old theory. It's the one that's probably most popular in America, but it's really kind of modern. It reminds me of that um, great story by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Maybe you read it. Maybe you watched it, but in this story, Aslan, who stands in for God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, depending on which book you're reading, he is the roaring lion. There's something in there about it, him being good, but not safe. I like that description of God. God is good, it's not safe. Well, anyway, Aslan is without flaw, and there's a little boy who has aligned himself unwittingly with the white witch. And he's betrayed his family. He's betrayed Narnia. And so the witch claims his blood. She said, the old magic, the magic before all things. It's a euphemism for grace and creation. The old magic demands a blood offering. His soul is mine. And so Aslan goes and meets with her privately, right? And he comes out and he says... The deal's done, the boy doesn't have to go, and early that next morning, Aslan wakes early, and he goes to an altar, and he willfully lays himself down in the boy's place. That's one theory of the atonement. It's probably one you know and are comfortable with, but like I said, it's not old, it's a newer one. An older one, at least from the third century, is called moral influence theory, It's almost about the reforming the world the idea is that jesus became like us to lift us up and through this act of self-love of giving oneself over he can elevate the world to its better self a couple weeks ago i cited that film gran torino and it seems to come back into mind this morning Remember that Clint Eastwood movie he's a crotchety old white man whose neighborhood is now being populated by Southeastern uh, uh, Asian people and he's really racist and there's this little boy Who's really got no father figure and through circumstance? He ends up taking him on Teaches him how not just to be a man morally, but how to do manly things like fix stuff and you know the whole bit and at the end he comes to love this boy and sees that his understanding of this people group is wrong, but he really doesn't like how the boy is being pushed into the gang life. So he pushes back. He elevates that boy by giving a father figure and at the very end of the film, spoiler alert, he stands before a house full of the gangsters and he makes them draw on him and they shoot him and he dies laying in the position of the cross on the ground moral influence theory. Through giving of self and sacrifice, you can lift up and elevate the world that's in great need. An even older atonement theory, going back to the first centuries, is called Christus Victor. It's perhaps my favorite. You can hear in the phrase Christ and victorious. In the Christus Victor model, the idea is that Jesus Christ defeats, is victorious over anything that's wrong, sin, death, evil, because His act of love is that effective. In fact, I like to put it this way, Jesus heals the cracks and wounds of all the world, including our broken hearts, with His own life. And if you've been listening to me for about nine years, I've been saying that at the table almost every time because... That makes sense to me. I know I'm really going to show you how nerdy I am, but I love this TV show from the 90s. I even published on it. It's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Buffy is the chosen one to fight the villains, the vampires and the demons. And there's this one point where there's a dimension, a rift in the world, and hell can come through it. And the only way to close it is she throws her life into it. She overcomes for the world all the powers of hell. There's even a model right now, it's a new one. Rene Girard, the great French thinker, calls it the scapegoating model. You ever hear about this one? I like it, it's very compelling. The idea is this real simple. I'll make it real simple. It's real complicated. I'll make it simple. It is that Jesus indicts the violence? that we share and do in this world by becoming a martyr to it, that the cross shows the world for what it is. And so he hands himself over to reveal the darkness in our world and then to critique it. Why am I telling you all this? Well, you're Christians and you ought to care about the atonement. Let me say more. Whatever Peter thought of people groups around the world or if he ever had an imagination for extraterrestrial life, he tells us that what Jesus did works once for all. We may worry about extraterrestrial life. One worry is that they could come into our world and do us harm. Another worry is like, if we learn that there was other species, would that shake our faith? Let me tell you what they tell me. Don't worry about things that aren't real yet. Don't make up stories to worry about. I like that movie Fantastic Beasts, you know the Harry Potter film, Newt Scamander, and he says, uh, somebody said, aren't you worried? He goes, why worry? I'll suffer twice that way. Because the worry is part of the suffering, and then if you go through it, you suffer again. So, Cross the bridges when they come. We don't know if there's extraterrestrial life. But we can stand with faith now thinking that what Jesus did is good enough for all. You might be asking the question, why are these atonement theories so multi... Why are there so many? I like what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity... He said, we don't really know how the atonement works. We really don't know how it works that we're saved by Jesus. We just know that it does. And I can go to the Scriptures, and I can find justification for each theory with a text here, a text there. But he said, consider looking at a mountain. If you're looking at a mountain from the south side, you only see part of it. You can't explain it in full. And then you see it from the north side, you can only see part of it. You can't see it in full. What we are talking about is beyond the cosmos. What we're talking about is God... And God is beyond the reach of our little brains, and so we have snapshots to help us get a glimpse of an understanding of what's happening in the divine drama. And what we can go home and go to the bank with is that however it works, it works. And if you're still worried about Martians, not sure many of you were, but someone was, I like 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1.4. You know, we often play up the bit about being saved and going to a heaven place, but 2 Peter 1.4 is powerful text that tells us the divine destiny for all life is to participate in the divine nature. You will be participants in the divine nature. Now, this isn't paganism, it's not New Ageism, but what it means is that our destiny is to be brought so closely into the divine embrace. And Jesus paves the way for us to come close to God like that. The Eastern Church gets this better than the Western Church. But I like to think of it even being more expansive. I want you to consider what a human being is for a moment. Humans are nothing if not microcosms of creation. Microcosm of creation. What does he mean? Well, Genesis 2 tells us, doesn't it, that Adam was collected from the dust of the earth and God breathes life or spirit into dirt. You're made up of the stuff of the earth. The scriptures know it well. You know who else knows it well? Scientists. The scientists would say, that there's stardust in your veins. There's nothing in you that is foreign to the heavenly bodies. What is true of the cosmos is found in you because we're made of the same stuff. So if humanity's a microcosm of God, and of the world, and if the destiny is to be brought into the life of God, then we can say Jesus has taken on human life into the divine life. And because we're microcosms of all creation, Jesus has also taken on the rest of the stuff of creation into the divine life. Plants or extraterrestrials. So I think the whole destiny point where we're all going, what we're intended for anyway, what we're intended for is life with God. And I don't care what color you are, what language you speak, or if you flew on a UFO. So I don't know about aliens. I just know that Jesus died once for all. And I'm thankful it includes me. And I'm thankful it includes you.